Oh, hi. And welcome to Sex for Smart People. Oh, hi. We have been on hiatus and we've missed you. And now we're back. Welcome back. What's new uh, since the hiatus is we're going to do an episode uh, about once every two months, or let's say at least once every two months. Um, and in between one of those, the big episodes. Yeah. And in between those, we'll do shorter episodes when something comes up or whenever we feel like it. Indeed. And I'm, in addition, excited about hosting sometimes a larger sort of symposium once or twice a year. But what we're coming back to you with now is the first podcast uh, of this, our second season of SFSP. And wouldn't you know it, but we have on as our guest, Dossie Easton. Holy crap. Dossie Easton. Oh my goodness. Guys, it's Dossie Easton. She wrote The Ethical Slut. (laughs) She wrote the new (laughs) Topping and Bottoming books. And uh, she's just an absolute trailblazer in terms of all the stuff that we talk about on the show. Authenticity and communication and sexual freedom. She's a therapist. She's the best. Uh, we're definitely coming She's back a at a high point hero here. Of mine. Oh my gosh, guys, we're back. <laughs> yeah. And since it's been a while, we're first going to check back in with our mission statement, and then we'll interview Dossie, collectively address some listener questions, and we'll also have a shout out about my coaching practice and a song from the Love Songs for the Rest of Us album. What the hell is a mission statement? <laughs> I don't know, Dave. Is it? I think we wrote one. Is it a bullet pointed list of what we believe? It is indeed. And I'm looking at it on our website right now. What's that website again? Sexforsmartpeople.com. It's so easy to remember. It's the name of the show followed by .com. (laughs) It is indeed. But it's important to us to periodically check in with what we wrote in the mission statement as um, it, it has shifted a bit over time and we hope that it will continue to grow and shift. Dave, will you kick us off reading the first one? Totally. So here is what we believe. Sex and sexuality are related to hope and vitality and should be celebrated and talked about without shame. And it's not all about the sex, but sex is important. Trust and communication and authenticity are the most important things. Knowing how to make meaningful relationships is not instinctual or inherited, but takes work. Just because a relationship ends does not mean it was a failure. How we are with each other is significant on both a personal and political scale. Queering is beautiful, valuable, and necessary. Challenge the status quo, but don't rule it out. Relationships are strongest when they are crafted and defined by the people in them. Ahem. You, you should, should talk, talk to, to each, each other, other about, about things. things. Guys, it's in all caps, and we know that internet on the internet, all caps is shouting, and we are actually shouting this. <laughs> you should talk to each other about things. This is vital even or especially when it's hard or fraught or complicated. And that above all, there is no one right way to be other than considered and considerate. Thus ends our mission statement. Indeed. How's that feel to you, Dave, to check in with? Um, I think that we wrote we're it like right. I, th- I think we're right. I'm 100% on board. If somebody <laughs> handed that to me, I would, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still fully behind this. I think that, um, but of course there's stuff that we don't know. So if, what, if you think that we're missing something important or we're overlooking something valuable or we're sort of uh, eliding or jumping, you know, let us know. Totally. And I would say, yeah, I'm really excited about continuing to orient by this as well and always excited to hear from you as well your thoughts on that and anything and everything (laughs) 
Totally. You can find us on all of the things. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr. Now and we Tumblr. Have, uh, Tumblr. That, that's, there's no E in that one in case you're typing that in, followed by <laughs> .com. <laughs> um, uh, and we have a good old-fashioned email, electronic mail address, in case you want to hit us up there. Uh, you can reach us both simultaneously at hello at sexforsmartpeople.com. And you can find all the links to the other uh, social networks on our website, which has that super easy to remember name of sexforsmartpeople.com. Indeed. And so please be in touch with your questions, objections, thoughts, ideas, anytime. And thank you so, so much for being in conversation with us. And now, Dossie Easton. Our love is what we make of it. 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 Sex for smart people. That means you. Oh, hi. Hello. Welcome back to Sex for Smart People. Yay, we've missed you, dear listeners. (laughs) Welcome home. I'm Dave and my preferred pronoun is he. I'm Stephanie and I use she or they. I'm Dossie and I use she. I am so giddy, you guys. <laughs> Dossie is a, an utter hero of mine. And just yeah. everything that you've thought about and written about over the years has been so hugely influential to my ways of thinking. And I'm really like feeling kind of verklempt and shy to be sitting next to you and in your beautiful space in Lagunitas, California. And across from your amazing bookshelf of every book that I either have read and loved or want to read about sex and sexuality. And, um, and Dave, where the hell are you? I am in lovely and sunny Los Angeles, California. Indeed. And we get- I am sitting across from, uh, photo- from photographs of the gates from the Central Park exhibition that Jean-Claude and Christo did uh, in 2002. Oh, I love that too. <laughs> Didn't we go together? Yeah, totally. I think we did. Um, yeah. So you want to do it? Kick us oh, off, Dave? It must have been later. Yes. Okay. Hi. Um, hi. Uh, Dossie, yes. what is your relationship to relationships? I think that what our problem is when we look at relationships is that we have one model, one sort of gold standard, and everything that isn't the gold standard is less than somehow. Dave I and I believe, are vigorously nodding. Yes. I believe in diversity in relationships, that there are all kinds of relationships that work, that are sustainable, maybe not forever, but for however long they work. And... Um, I came up, one aphorism I came up with myself that I'm rather proud of, which is to say that if you want to find out the full range of relationships that you are capable of experiencing and enjoying and and, uh, nourishing yourself with, if you let each relationship seek its own level, flow into the form that fits for that particular connection and you and that particular other person, then they will all work beautifully. Oh, God. That's everything. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> that was such a smart people. Are Thanks, are everybody. <laughs> um, just so beautifully said, Dossie. Um, I, I feel like we should read that at the beginning of each episode. I feel like, too. But I also think <laughs> I just want to acknowledge just what a trailblazer you are, Dossie. That, like, totally. I think that there's so much more open public conversation about that which you just said, which is great. There's openings in the world. People mm-hmm. are more more open to to creating their own vocabulary around relationships and looking outside of the capital N normative. Um, but um, I'm curious, just like you you were using this terminology and, and talking about these things like way before many people had 
words for it, or we're we're practicing, or or at least publicly practicing relationship structures outside of the the norm. And I'm curious what you um, what you think that those of us today like should hear about what has been trailblazed in the past, or just how you feel about how. Um, how polyamory, open relationships, kinkiness, queerness is landing in the public public sphere today. Uh, it's curious because I know I live in a very privileged world. I'm a therapist. I work with people. People come to me because they're interested in poly and kink and such like. Um, and I live in a world where I live entirely within my culture and I don't have a lot of brushes with the outside culture anymore. I am aware that the mainstream culture has a lot of catching up to do. But I am also aware that we have a huge community, an enormous population of people who are exploring and writing about their explorations and blogging and sharing and being out of the closet in a variety of ways. And it's just wonderful. I don't think anything is going to stop this movement from continuing to be there for people who want more openness in their life. And I feel free saying when I first, um, I've never been any other way. When I first um, got the desires that set me on this path, I was 17 years old in 1963. And um, no, that was 1961, excuse me. Uh, And I mean, even I thought I was crazy or I thought I was going to settle down or something would change. And it didn't. And um, it is such a delight to me and a blessing to be here where there is now a world in which I am free to be who I am. Yeah. What sustained or gave courage and drive to you at 17? (laughs) That to me is one of the great mysteries of my life, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Because I would see friends of mine seek a more secure life somewhere. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And um, uh, there's a rebellious streak in me uh, that... I thought was was massively inconvenient at various times, but it kept me really true to this rather strange path. And now I'm in a sort of season of reward. And um, that is so delightful. So uh, the ethical slut has been a huge cultural touchstone since I feel like it seems like it must be since you wrote it, or certainly it's one of the first things that, that uh, tends to always be mentioned in conversations about open relationships and polyamory when people are looking for information. What was the process of, of writing that book like? And were you surprised at the reception that it got? Um, wow, it was really well received. We were a little scared about it. We, yeah. we, I had come up with the title and we were when we were talking casually, people would say, "What? this was our third book. And so people would say, what are you guys writing now? And we would say The Ethical Slut. And all our friends understood that entirely and laughed and said, yes, right. And... Um, and so when we finished the book and it came time to put a title on it, it was like, are we going to call it polyamory for the new millennium or what? You know, um, no, um, we're going to call it the ethical slut and go for it. And we had a lot of opposition. A lot of people thought it was crazy. We are finally, uh, after the book's been out for, I don't know how many years now, uh, published by a major publisher, partly because Random House bought the middle sized publisher that we, that published us. And, uh, it's, I think it was a book whose time had come. At the time it came out, there wasn't much like it. And I think the yeah. other thing about Slut that I'm very proud of 
is that we have written it in an entirely conversational form. Mm-hmm. I have issues yeah. with thinking that I should speak in multisyllabic words in dead languages and put on a white coat and hang a stethoscope around my neck to say that it's okay for me to speak as an authority on sex. And um, so the informal form that we use in slut and the amount of personal sharing we do in it is unusual. Uh, in books about sex, most people create some kind of crazy distance or reserve. And I think it's one of the reasons slut has become a classic is because we speak in the language that you would want to speak speak in when you talk to people that you love and want to have sex with, you know? I vividly remember, Dossie, I remember like where I was when I first read it. And I almost want to cry thinking about it. I just remember this feeling of like, thank goodness. <laughs> like so much that you were saying made sense to me inside, but I hadn't ever heard somebody really say it and say it thoughtfully and say it from, as you're saying, like a really very human personal perspective. And so I just feel such gratitude to you. And I'm curious what, um, to those who are like, I'm now a total geek about ethical fluttery, but Uh to those who are, um, to, you know, who hear the term and are maybe like, haven't read the book and are like, what the hell does that mean? Like, can you give like, what, what do you most hope that someone who's new to the conversation would, would begin to think about? Well, you know, we started from this notion that slut is a word that has been um, used as an insult and we wanted to reclaim it. Uh, I've heard many people, other people were doing it. People told me men don't call themselves sluts. And I said, not the men I know, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you went down to the bath and you did what? (laughs) You slut. Uh, So a slut is a term for a person who celebrates sexuality and likes to have adventures and explore and is excited about sexuality. And then it became sensible to look at that format of calling it the ethical slut because this is what we're talking about. If you're going to make this a lifestyle, then the ethics are about respecting other people, respecting their feelings, uh, being willing to negotiate or hear from them what's important to them, uh, to not be this kind of horrible example we sometimes have in the literature and in real life of people who do sport fucking or... um, this kind of um, hookup culture I'm hearing about now that everything is very disconnected and unreal, but we start from ethics and that keeps us going in connection, I think. So um, you say that there wasn't, I don't know, you are a trailblazer in this field. Who were you reading or talking to when you were younger that sort of helped, helped you form these ideas or was it just in conversation with friends and doing work yourself? I was very blessed in 1973 to become a volunteer for San Francisco Sex Information, which is a a switchboard and now an online um, website that people can ask questions about sex and there are trained volunteers. And so what I wound up with was in the middle of 1,500 volunteers, all of whom were uh, sexual explorers and sex educators and looking for ways. And because we were doing this on the telephone, we had to do it with words. So we couldn't gesture, we couldn't make diagrams, we had to actually name sexual acts and talk about the details Ah! and how does a clitoris work and so on and so forth, you know? And so uh, that was uh, huge back in 1973. It was beautiful and we knew that we were trying to develop a sex positive language. And and so I found a family then and... um, Although I had family before, I had communities before, and there were slut communities before then. Um, 
to be formally acknowledged as a sex educator was uh, was really beautiful. And to, to be able to put this out in the world was just gorgeous. That is amazing. <laughs> was, that a, was that a private program or a, a state program? No, it was a uh, privately funded program. And now, for many years now, it's been surviving on... The training is remarkable because it's the most open-minded training in sexuality, I think, probably... Uh, that you could find anywhere, um, certainly in the United States. And uh, so it attracts a lot of volunteers. We do charge for the training as well as a volunteer commitment. And um, that uh, is enough to keep the rental and the, you know, the various small expenses of running the switchboard going. We don't have anybody on salary, you know. I want to ask you a little about your newest work, Radical Ecstasy, which, as I understand, is about... Um, BDSM, power play, and tantra, and how they're in conversation with each other, maybe even sometimes one in the same. And I feel like that, like, that's another, um, as like being ethical and being a slut, sometimes people think of as being, uh, that, that there's cognitive dissonance there. I think sometimes people think that, that doing power play and like dominance is a mission and practicing tantra or, or consciousness in, in sex, um, that, that 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 there's dissonance there, and I'm so excited. I'm somebody who personally definitely does not feel dissonance there. And can you share a little bit about where that book came from? Uh, yeah, I have for a long, long time understood that sex was sacred, and that sex was spiritual practice. That you talk about this kind of way open to consciousness that uh, we look for in psychedelics, that we look for in meditation, that we look for it in ecstatic practice, and. Um, at a time when we are wide, wide awake and all of our brain is running at once and we're totally in the present moment mm-hmm. and doesn't that sound like an orgasm to you? Uh, it's interesting in an, in an interesting neuroscience book called Why God Won't Go Away on page 125. I quote this all the time. Whoa. They studied functional MRIs with various things in terms of people doing spiritual practice and such. They're the ones with the Carmelite nuns and the Tibetan Buddhists and things. And um, this is out of the University of Pennsylvania. They say that the nervous nets and the parts of the brain that light up uh, during sex are uh, the same ones that light up during transcendent states of consciousness. And they have some evolutionary discussion. It's a lovely book. I recommend it. Why God Won't Go Away. Uh, On how this served evolution, that sex is not only pleasurable, but it is spiritual. It is our connection in my mind. And I'm going to sound really woo to say this. Do it. Uh, but I do believe that the animating force of the universe, the stuff we call divine energy, runs through all of us all the time. And it's just a question of when we can make the space to pay attention to it. Stassi, everything you say, I want to cry from joy. <laughs> 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 and I want to, I just, I feel such an embarrassment of riches here and such just like the, 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 breadth and depth of your life's work. Like I, we could do a, a 40 hour episode and not be bored, but um, we do need to move on to okay. listener questions. But just lastly, before we do, um, I just, where is anybody that wants to learn more about you and your work? Where can they find more? My website is very easy to find. It's dossieeaston.com. Beautiful. Dub, dub, dub. Dub, dub, dub. Dossieeaston.com. Uh-huh. HTTP colon uh, <laughs> slash slash <laughs> Hi, this is Jillian with a quick detour before Dave, Stephanie, and Dossie address listener questions. 
As many of you know, in 2013, Stephanie and I did a cross-country house concert slash conversation tour, talking and singing with a wide range of people about love and sex and family. It was a transformative and humbling experience. In June, we released the album, Love Songs for the Rest of Us. It's made up of songs plus interview montages by the amazing Jeremy Mage. We're going to share excerpts with you on the podcast from time to time. And if you like what you hear and would like to hear more, you can find us on Bandcamp or at lovesongsfortherestofus.com. Here's the first two-minute montage from the album. As a teenager, I was very aware of my body and my sexuality. I was very self-conscious about having a body that didn't look like a male model or a professional athlete. Then, like, I couldn't leave the house without makeup on. Sexuality as a teenager, maybe I would like to say I was kind of super horny. It's like, I look good. My journey with my body and sexuality of myself has been one from utter shame to utter self-freshman and I fell in love with this girl. I had the image of being a Miss Goody like, Oh yeah, I'm definitely gay. I was a prude or a but I didn't think I should have I used gender-fluid to describe myself. Having a lot of ideas and thinking a lot about what it meant to be self-confident, desirable, but not knowing anything about what I actually desired. On to listener questions. Yeah. Uh, question number one. Question one. Hi, Stephanie and Dave. Boo-boo, boo-boo. Thank you. I appreciate it. I was <laughs> staying away. Hi, Stephanie and Dave. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do. Your perspectives are like a breath of fresh air. Authenticity and communication truly are the sexiest. But you speak so often about communicating about what your needs are to your partners. What happens when you don't know what your needs are in the first place? I am a queer woman and very comfortable with myself, and I don't think I feel shame around sex with my girlfriend, but I'm not usually sure what I desire other than a basic closeness with her. She's more experienced than I am, and sometimes she gets frustrated at my apparent lack of self-awareness. I don't think I should be made to feel guilty for this, but also I am wondering what tools and perspectives you have about figuring out what the fuck you want in the first place. I love this question so much. Yeah, the first principle about figuring out what the fuck you want in the first place is that if you try something and it turns out to be something you might not want to do again, you will not fall off the edge of the planet. (laughs) You'll be fine. Uh, You'll just have tried something and decided that it isn't for you. Uh, So no-fault exploration is really good. If you have um, any of our books, um, particularly Ethical Slut, there's an exercise in it called the Yes, No, Maybe exercise, which is a great exercise to research... You start by writing down all the sexual acts you can think of that anybody anywhere might want to (laughs) do, which usually makes people blush a lot because you have to name a lot of things, but write them down on a big piece of paper, go forth bravely, and then divide them into uh, columns. One yes, one absolutely no, and one maybe. 
And uh, when you get that list done in columns, you and your friend maybe made the big list together and then you make your individual lists of yes and no and maybe, uh, then you can start playing with it. If you can, I suggest to couples, they put them up on the refrigerator for a couple of weeks and mm-hmm. um, as long as they don't have any children old enough to read. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, uh, it, See what kind of dates you can make out of things that are on both of your yes lists. And on the maybe list, it's interesting to say, okay, well, I've heard about this and I've never done it and I don't know what it would be like. So maybe it would be okay if, if we found a safe space. It was, if it was okay to stop in the middle if I didn't like it. If it was okay to explore and adjust and make it, uh, make a time to learn. We don't make time to learn about sex. Mm. We're supposed to always be in the heat of passion when we, when we let our genitals be touched. And be perfect at everything we do. And And be perfect. And we need to make that space to say, let's try this. And if we have to stop in the middle to adjust something, then we'll stop in the middle and adjust something. Yeah. And... You may not do it perfectly the first time. You have to try something at least three times before you know if you like it or not. Hmm. When you're cooking and you taste it and you've left out the salt, you don't throw the whole dish away. You add some salt. Ah, Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well said. Well Well said, David McGee. I love yes, no, maybe lists. Um, And a couple other things that come to mind, which are maybe, um, uh, I think if anybody is, is, I think that everybody should try a yes, no, maybe list. Mm-hmm. But if you feel a little shy about that, or if you, even if you don't, um, some other things that this question makes me think of. First of all, like to this person who wrote in, I think you can own that you say, you know that you desire a basic closeness with your girlfriend. Like that is something that you yeah. want and that you mm-hmm. desire. And I think that that's a great thing to own. And some people are... I think many people are into more adventurous sexual things than they know of or, or have tried, but some people are like the the core thing is into basic closeness and hey, if that's your thing, awesome. Um, and but it does sound like you're interested in exploring, and it does sound like um, you notice that your girlfriend uh, would be w- w- would love for you to be be entering this conversation more. And so something in addition to yes, no, maybe list that I would offer is um, an exercise that's from the very wise Alex Morgan, who I think mm-hmm. Dossie mm-hmm. knows as well. Yep. Um, and that is practicing checking in with yourself about what you want in low stakes situations so that when you're in the high, a high stakes situation uh-huh. of sex with a partner that you've kind of strengthened those muscles. And so something that can be wonderful to do, and I love doing this too, like is either set a timer for three random times a day or just whenever you think of it, two or three times a day, just like take a breath, be still for, for just a second and ask yourself, what would delight my body right now? Or what would make me feel really alive right now? And just notice whatever comes up without judgment. Um, And maybe that thing is something you can do right then. And if so, cool. But the point is not necessarily to to dive in and, and do it. The point is just to, to notice it and to learn to listen to yourself that way. And, and that way, even within, say if on your yes list is, um, is something having to do with power play and uh, then in the moment to moment listening to yourself and knowing what you want within whatever you're trying, um, that muscle will be strengthened. So that might be something to try too. Uh, many years ago, I had a, a, a new girlfriend who was much less experienced than me, and she did something very wise. 
Uh, and this was experience in kink that was on the table. And um, so she went and bought a few, a couple sessions with a professional dominant that she knew, professional dominatrix, uh, specifically to learn what she liked and what she didn't like with somebody who was essentially there as an expert to help her have experiences of things and figure out what she liked and what she, what she wanted to explore and what mm. she didn't. And that was very powerful. I think we forget sometimes that our sex workers can be our teachers. I love and appreciate that. I think there's so much stigma around that that it's hard, that sometimes people don't, don't remember. How... Yeah. I'm sorry, what were you about to say, Dave? Yeah, I, now I have something on that too, which is that, so I have two questions. On a yes, no, maybe list, do you recommend like... Um, how non, how non-sexy or like non, I guess not non-sexy, how non, like, do you write on there things about, uh, cuddling or how you sit next to each other on the couch or holding hands? How, like, um, how, how basic in closeness do you get when you're writing a yes, no, maybe list? Would you recommend, or is it, do you think that it's better to start at, um, past that? I mean, you can put as much as you want. It's, you can make a really long list. It's not like you have to be sort of exclusive about it. And right. um, if cuddling is something, I mean, for many people, cuddling is something they don't want to have sex without. So it is a sexual totally. act. Um, you know, so and uh, massage, whatever, you know, anything can go on there that feels yeah. right to you. Um, reading porn together, I don't know, you know. One other thing from the question that I want to bring up is that I agree writer that you should not be made to feel guilty about this about not knowing what you want um yep. and i'd be interested to know how that guilt is being how how you're being made to feel that guilt and if and i agree that you should bring up that there are things that are happening that are making you feel that way um and try to figure out a way with your partner to or your girlfriend to not feel that way anymore mm. i agree with you totally yeah i really hear that and i think this yeah. goes along with it so often like I, I feel like there's a chance that the person who write, wrote in is maybe in a situation where it's like being like you need to know what you want faster or, you know, you, you're, or yeah. we need more or like, and I just always like to encourage people that whenever there's a case of too much or not enough or too fast or too slow, like if you can really get to just the question of, well, what, what is it that you need here? And so yeah. you're reaching out for something that you need tools and perspectives for figuring it out. And I hope that your girlfriend can hear that and hear that you're, you're meeting her in that way. Yeah. And I think that um, you also have to look inside yourself and be kind to yourself whenever you experience the feeling of shame. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very unpleasant feeling. We all learned it when we were kids and didn't know how the world worked. And yeah. it's scary to all of us. And the best antidote for that is to treat yourself kindly. So my recommendation is the next time you feel ashamed, you go out and get a really nice flower and put it on your bedstand. Oh, yes. oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> Just for you. Oh. Or some such kindness for yourself. Oh. Treat yourself gently and kindly around this. Um, mm -hmm. Because there's two pieces of this. Your girlfriend's impatient is one thing. Uh, your own response to it is the other part. And you can do something about your own response. Mm. I heard, I don't remember if we've talked about this, that there was apparently research... I just read the article about it, not the actual thing, that said that if you stand in Superman pose for two minutes a day, you will actually be seen as stronger and 
People will listen to you and you will feel better about yourself. It's just like once a day, just put your hands on your hips and your chest out with your legs spread and stand that way for a few seconds and you're going to feel better about taking on the world. <laughs> I'm into it. I think our body and energy, has, like it's like building the muscles of, of that. I've not it tried works. It totally I would take works. us way off topic. I, I did a lot of experiments in women moving through the world in the early days of feminism. Ooh, can you give us the one or two minute nutshell version okay. of that? Is that possible? Yeah. Well, I used to be an advocate with the battered and work at the battered woman shelter, and part of my job was to be the advocate with women who are attempting to prosecute or in court for one reason or another, particularly rapists or assailants, and. Um, we were in the district attorney's office a lot, and this was back in the late 70s, and there were no women lawyers there, not one. Um, and so I, we would go in as, as advocates with our clients. And I remembered just how hard it was to getting to them to getting them to listen to a woman and to listen to a victim. So I experimented with what you wear when you go to the DA's office. And I wore what ladies are supposed to wear, uh, not the kind of power suits lawyers, lady lawyers wear these days, but, you know, a nice conservative suit or whatever, um, casual clothes, whatever. What I found worked was to make a big silhouette. I wore wide leg pants, mm. high-heeled shoes, a jacket with shoulder pads, um, fluffed my hair up uh-huh. and when I wanted to say something that I really wanted them to hear, I would stand up and do exactly what you just did. <laughs> Occupy space. They really are silverbacks. I swear they're gorillas. <laughs> uh, and they would all turn to me and listen to what I said. Wow. That's powerful. It's like, it's like the advice for, for frightening off a bear in, in Yosemite. Yep, <laughs> right. Make a big silhouette. <laughs> and also, don't quote me uh, what, on that advice. <laughs> what shocked me was that it worked. <laughs> oh, hi, it's Dave, the co-host of Sex with Smart People, the podcast you're listening to even now. This podcast that for us, for both me and Stephanie, is a labor of love and something that we so deeply believe in. And it is something that we also pay money out of pocket for to keep going. Uh, it's about 150 bucks per episode for things like hosting our website and paying our uh, audio engineer. Um, and so if you are listening and you dig what you're hearing and you um, do have it to spare, a uh, buck or two or five per episode, we would so deeply appreciate a contribution to our Patreon page. Um, Patreon uh, allows our community to make small, uh, ongoing contributions to help fund the show on a voluntary per-episode basis. So you'd pledge a buck or two, and then every time we release an episode, um, you would uh, you would chuck that in for the, for the show. Um, our content is... F- free and it's always going to be free our core content but uh this this donation would make a huge difference in us being able to invest even more time and energy as we move forward toward these huge visions we have hey we love this show and we love doing it and it's changed our lives for the better and it keeps us honest in conversations that we care about so deeply and we really really hope it's been good for you too and if it has been good and if you do dig it and you have that buck or two or maybe you know like 37 dollars and nine cents per episode to kick in, we would super, super appreciate it. You can find that link to our Patreon page at our website with that ever easy to remember website uh, URL of sexforsmartpeople.com. Appreciate it. Thanks for considering helping out and uh, back to the show. And on to question two. Lasers. (laughs) I am a woman in a happy long-term monogamous heterosexual relationship. I have always been attracted to both men and women, though I've considered myself straight and didn't accept my attraction to women seriously until after college. 
But recently, I have found that my attraction to women seems to be a lot stronger than it ever was. I love and love having sex with my partner, and I don't want to do anything to jeopardize my relationship, but I'm starting to feel worried that I'm never going to have the chance to explore this new part of myself and my sexuality. I do not know how to broach this subject with my partner while I know he will be understanding. I do know that if this would hurt or worry him or our relationship, I do not know if this would hurt or worry him or our relationship. I have major reservations about identifying myself as queer or bisexual for all of these reasons, especially as everyone who's ever known me has known me as straight. How do I navigate this space? Um, the first thing I would do, aside from at some point having a conversation to just say this is kind of in the air and, and I'm not going to take any action until we're both in, you know, so we're going to explore this as an idea for a while and make that really safe for your partner. Um, and uh, get some books into the house. It really helps. I've had couples who would read uh, a chapter a week of Slut or um, some of the other good books that are out there, Kathy Labriola, um, um, opening up by Tristan Taormina. There are a lot of good books. Deborah Annapole has left us, sadly. Um, although I don't think she addresses bisexuality as much. Um, and um, there are these things called polymunches. What you're talking about really is opening your relationship because then you're going to get to find out what your husband's fantasies might be. And what he might want to do if you guys opened your relationship. And one of the things you can Google is poly munch near me. A munch is a place where people get together in usually the back room of a restaurant or some such place uh, and just talk about um, their journeys with open relationships. And uh, it's lovely to get in a room full of other people to find out, yeah, I felt so jealous and it was really dreadful and I worked on it and now it's better or I really made a fool of myself and it was so embarrassing, but I've learned. And, you know, uh, there's a, a bunch of support that's out there for you that you can have. Um, a lot of people think that jealousy is an emotion that is um, non-negotiable that it is intolerable, it will never be tolerable, it can't be managed. Um, this is the popular belief, the mythos. And uh, if that's what comes up as the, no, I would be too jealous, uh, I think the chapters that we wrote uh, in the ethical slot on jealousy are well worth reading about that. I concur. Uh, because why should jealousy be more of an obstacle than... I mean, we learn to contain anger, we learn to contain grief, we learn to contain worrying to some extent or another, um, but we learn to deal with all these emotions. Why should jealousy be an emotion that we are not allowed to learn to deal with? Cheers. Wow. I have a, I have, I have, I do have a glib response that I have used when people have heard uh, the story about how um, I came to open relationships in polyamory, where yeah. the first thing they say tends to be... Um, oh, wow, I could never do that. And I tend to just really brightly say, oh, yeah, you could. It's okay if you don't want to, but you definitely could. <laughs> uh-huh, right. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yep. No, I yeah. share that. I know um, I've been really quick to speak. Dave, do you have anything? Um, uh, uh, Dossie, I really like the idea you said about, um, about, bringing, about bringing this up with the caveat that 
it's not that you're not going to act on it until you've talked about it and everyone has reached a, a certain comfort level. Um, and I think it might be, I think it might be worth like having that as the, like, I don't know, carve out space, a lovely date night or where you're going to sit and talk about something. And I, I think that it might be worth it to lead off that way. Like I'm going to bring uh, up something. No fault zone what? for conversational exploration. Yeah, yeah, totally. And say, I'm, I'm going to bring up something totally wild that I've been thinking about. And I just want to let you know that however the discussion goes, I'm, there's going to be no action taken until we've talked about this thoroughly. I want to do X or I've been thinking about X. And I think it might be worth like laying that frame down. So it's not like the, the thinking isn't immediately like, Oh, the next thing she's going to say is I'm breaking up with you. Right. Right. I don't know. I think that that might be it, without doing that. It might induce some fear thinking in, in your, in your, uh, in your partner. I'm also know. thinking of just That's like all, all the nuance of, of openness. Like I feel like, um, when That's people, your autobiography title, by the way. All the nuance of openness. Yeah, probably, yeah, totally. actually. <laughs> um, I'm thinking about just like when people hear open relationship or polyamory that uh, that haven't been in a ton of conversation around it, it, it t- tends to, I don't know, there can be this idea of it's all the sex all the time or like that it's, you know, that, that it looks this certain one way. Right, and right. as is detailed in The Ethical Slut, as many people that all of us know and love are in so many different configurations of what this can look like. It mm-hmm. might be the um, person who wrote in that just being able to talk about openly and maybe watch porn together and fantasize together about you being with women, maybe that does it for you. Um, maybe you do want, you know, um, maybe you do want to explore with women, but that it's not, but that once you've explored, then you want to be monogamous again. Maybe it's that you and your partner can, can both date, date women, but you don't date men or where, just where your rules and lines are, where this could go is just so, so varied. And so, um, that's what I would also encourage you to keep in mind as you, as you tiptoe and, and bring in, bring up this conversation. Right. And one, one, um, desensitizing exercise I recommend to couples who are thinking of opening their relationship, um, is to go online to some site like your shirt, uh, some dating site. And, Dave's wearing an OK Cupid shirt. Yes. And um, I didn't know if it was okay to mention brand names, but anyway. <laughs> totally. And, uh, cr- just with each other, hang out and cruise the ads kind of theoretically. Mm. Would I answer this ad? If I wouldn't, why wouldn't I? Are we both turned on to that person? What What is the story here? And, you know, if I were going to answer this ad, what would it look like? Um, and just... It's a way to play with the fantasy without actually before you actually answer any of the ads. Mm. Again, I like that idea. It's very no fault, very easy to stop doing. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Dossie, that's a that's a. I think. I think that so often, maybe even my first instinct is that this all has to be navigated alone. But navigating it with a partner seems like more fun and less stressful and more open and inclusive. If and your partner is up for it. that part of it. Yeah. yeah, totally. I love that idea. Yeah. Wow. I, cool. I, w- <laughs> I want to flag the other part of the question, which has to do with identity, where you say, oh, I yeah. have major reservations about identifying myself as queer or bisexual for all of these reasons, especially as everyone who has ever known me has known me as straight. And holy fuck, I feel for you in how yeah. like the, the <sighs> scripts that are out there are... Um, make that uh, uh, the the world as it is not as I would like it to be I get why yeah. you feel that in conflict um, 
and yet, and yet, and yet, I feel like the more we can move toward these labels only mattering in as much as they matter to us personally, um, the more, the more people that I just, all, all, I don't know, even straight itself is such a, there's a great book um, called Straight, The Surprisingly Short History of Heterosexuality. I love, love, love that book. It's by this historian. It's just talking about how much, it's talking in, in a historical sense about gender complexity and relationship diversity and how all of the constructs we have about straightness and uh, heterosexual right, marriage right. and all of that, they're just so young as far as, as human civilization goes. And that doesn't mean that those are wrong or that nobody is oriented those ways. But just, I think, um, I'm not sure what Just you, what Marco who, Rubio says, I believe that historically marriage has been between one man and one woman. He's well, <laughs> laid bare. Yeah, that's, it's it's yeah. very short. It's kind of short-sighted and, and, or, or, yeah. or a, a limited view of, of historically. But, yeah. um, but I, um, so I'm not sure what you who wrote in should do here. I hear that it's complex, but I would invite you and anybody to, you know, who's playing with the term queer to just take a second to think about what the, the wide variety of what queer can mean. That it's not like if you identify as queer, then you're, um, then this and this and this and this is definitely true about you necessarily. Yeah. yeah. And Although I also, maybe it is and that's great too. Yeah. Because there's stigmas, there's stereotyping. Um, I do want to honor that some people are not, don't, don't benefit from living in San Francisco and, uh-huh. um, don't live in That's places important. where it would be safe to come out of the closet. If you have young yeah. children, if, um, your children are in grade school, if you're part of the PTA, uh, if there's a church, uh, if no one in your neighborhood is, if, if everybody in your neighborhood or your world is in, in their own closets, it's a sad life, but that's kind of like what you're supposed to do in the mainstream culture. So depending on where you are, it might be hard to access other people. Once again, I recommend looking up Polly Munch. Uh, bisexuality and Polly kind of go hand in hand. Um, easy to find people. And also, I would put one caveat here. Your identity. Who You will still be who you are. <laughs> Happier, perhaps, freer, perhaps, but you will still be who you are if you take on the label of bisexual or queer or any of these. You are still you. Your identity will not change. Oh, hi. I would like to give a shout out for Stephanie's sex and relationship coaching. I started coaching with Stephanie and it has completely changed my life and really got in touch with myself and also it was a much more personal and spiritual journey than I ever could have imagined and um, I was able to work through a lot of and still am and will continue to work through a lot of the shame that I was taught about sex and the rules that were taught to me that weren't necessarily decided on by me and and she's really helped me to get in touch with my my needs and my wants and my desires and and help me to be brave to communicate those to my partner. And it's it's totally opened up a whole new world with us. And I'm I'm so, so, so grateful to Stephanie and and I'm getting emotional. <laughs> and so I would love to give a huge shout out to Stephanie as as a human being and her work and I respect everything she's doing. And if you would like to read some more details and testimonials, you can check it out 
on the Sex for Smart People website at sexforsmartpeople.com. Question three. I'd like to hear... <laughs> I was going to just try to leave leave space for it, Stephanie. For people to do the lasers I'd in like their to, minds. Yeah. Have the laser... Have the, you, you can be the laser. <laughs> okay. Be the laser three. you want to see in the world. I'd like to hear you talk specifically, step by step, about how to tie someone up. And caveat, we decided because we only have a little bit of time left, we're just going to give the floor to Dossie, who's going to give us the, the, the two-minute step-by-step version. Thank you, Dossie. Okay. So to start with, um, why would you want to tie people up? Because it feels real good. And what feels good about it? Uh, a lot of people in sex, as they approach orgasm, build up a lot of muscle tone. If you are tied up, you can actually pull and yank and struggle, and you won't throw your lover off the bed. Isn't that a good idea? Um, you can get really strong and have the bondage do the job of holding you in place instead of taking 10 friends. Um, safety. Safety. The first prompt thing of safety is you look at where the circulation is. We use wrists and ankles a lot. There are a lot of tendons and nerves and blood vessels in wrists and ankles. If you have somebody tied up by wrists and ankles, it helps if you touch their hand or foot every now and then to discover if it has fallen asleep and you instruct the person who is being tied up to tell you if anything falls asleep because that's the, the, the most common thing that people do that gets them into some kind of danger. Uh, B, you cannot learn to do suspension from seeing pictures online. Just believe me on that. Trust me. You have to go with real people who do it to learn how to do it. hanging from the ceiling. Like hanging from the ceiling with ropes. Um, What you are trying to do with the beginning bondage that you're going to practice with is find comfortable positions for a person to be, to some extent, limited in their movement. Some people start out by pretending. You put somebody's hand down on the bed and you say, your hand is tied to the bed there. You can't move it. And you explore those things. One of the things you'll find out is that there may be places where you want to prop pillows under knees because the tendons in the um, the groin get stretched too much. Any painful stretching should be corrected. There are things you can't do. When I started out, I thought you could go behind the knees and behind the elbows. The tendons there will not tolerate much. And the people who do that in bondage porn are athletes and they aren't built like the rest of us. Um, the the story is really to practice and play with it. Play with it. Make some sessions with your partner. Uh, know that uh, probably the, one of the best things to do is to take a washcloth and wrap around somebody's wrist and then do several wraps of rope around the wrist before you tie mm-hmm. a knot and attach it to anything. Um, there are a lot of good books out there. You can get them, but they tend to be way advanced. I don't think there's a good... I haven't seen a good basic book. Um well, I mean, the new bottoming book and the new topping book. Yeah, although but we they don't, don't actually do instruction. about no. instruction. Um, one safety precaution, you don't leave a person alone in a room when they're tied up and helpless. You stay sure. with them. If they start coughing or something, you keep some scissors around, preferably medical bandage scissors that have blunt ends so that you can get them out of the bondage if you need to in a hurry. Um But mostly what you're looking for is a comfortable position with access to any part of their body you happen to want access to for any particular reason, whether that's spanking their butt or playing with their most sensitive genital parts or you name it. 
or putting clothespins all over their tits. Who knows? Um, but so that what you're trying to do is make do something that will be comfortable for a person to be in for a fairly long period of time. So you don't want limbs falling asleep. You don't want that kind of stuff going on. You will learn if you do work with feedback with your partner and play games with it, you will learn pretty quickly what works and what doesn't. And that's really all there is to it because the best feedback is your own body's response. And if your own body's response is, this is so uncomfortable that I can't focus on having an orgasm, then that's not doing it right, you know? And a word about safe words? Safe words. Ah, yes, safe words. Uh, People in SM use safe words. This is an interesting notion because a lot of us like to go, no, 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 don't. Oh, my God, don't throw me in the briar patch. Um, um, And we really love that idea. We love that idea that we're playing against each other and pushing against each other when, in fact, we are collaborating. Uh, But we like to hide that sometimes. So we use alternative words. We choose words. The first really a professional SM person I played with, Cynthia Slater, used the word aspidistra, which I would point out is impossible to pronounce when breathing hard. Um, uh, But most people use the standard uh, safe words that are used now in the SM community are red, yellow, and green, or amber if you're in England. Um, Red means stop, we need to talk about something. It doesn't mean stop, the scene is over. It means stop, we need to talk about something. Yellow means something is amiss, you can probably figure it out. Often that means lighter, slower, whatever, right? Easier or going too fast. There's there's another safe word I use that's going, wait for me, wait for me, you're way ahead of me. <laughs> I can't catch up, wait for me. <laughs> uh, if my turn on is not following my partner's in perfect harmony, then we need to like reconnect. And I, I, have, a, I have a safe word in between there too, if that's um, just... Uh, Yes, totally keep going, but definitely not even a little bit more intense than what's happening right now. Yeah, which could be a variation on green, which Mm -hmm. means, yeah, I like this. This is great. This is fabulous. Don't stop now. Mm-hmm. Um, so safe words are wonderful. They really help people. Some people think that they, they interfere with this notion of helplessness. But personally, I'm pretty good at feeling helpless and using safe words at the same time. Uh, and for me, safe words increase my freedom to feel helpless or yeah. to give up my power. Yeah, because one of the, if, if you get into kink and bondage and complicated stuff like that, one of the things that you need to just be ready for is that sometimes you have to interrupt a scene to do something to take care of some reality. I mean, we are, we are bringing fantasies into reality. And much like if you're fantasizing and jacking off and an important phone call comes in, you might stop and answer the phone and then go back to what you were doing. Uh, you can do that with a partner too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that rundown. That's right. Onto quickies. quickies. So uh, it's our, it's the first. I realize in trying to think of what to talk about, I realize that there is a thing that uh, it is a short YouTube video that I've been watching basically on repeat for the last few days that I just want to recommend, and we'll link to it. And it is a video of a baby seeing a cat and losing its mind with joy because it is so excited at seeing this cat. <laughs> it, the, the parents present the cat to it in the crib, and it just. It freaks out with joy and happiness and wonderment at the fact that cats could exist. 
And it's such a silly, beautiful, short thing. I've just been thinking about how wonderful it is to look at joy and how much more I would like to make sure that I make room and space in my life for joy and remembering that simple things like the fact that cats exist is really marvelous and wonderful and worth celebrating and maybe even freaking out and screaming about sometimes. (laughs) So... I don't know. Look at this video, watch this baby lose its goddamn mind, and think about where you can find joy in little tiny things. Will you say the link one more time? Oh, it's on YouTube. We will post it. I think it's called, like, Baby Loves Cat or something, but, um... Okay. I'll, 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 yeah, you'll find it. It's it's really, really good. Babe, you're so beautiful. Yay, that is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. um, I'll go next. Um, Oh, man, I'm going to really... This might be a juicy quickie, but I'm going to try. Um, you've all given up on me by now in my attempts at brevity, <laughs> I know. Um, but um, I, most of you, if you've listened to other episodes, know my history of, of being hardcore evangelical Christian until 10 years ago in my early 20s and then kind of having a beautiful awakening to my sexuality concurrently with when that worldview was shifting. And when I say I let go of Jesus and found myself. Um, I've been kind of averse to... I'm not proud of this, but kind of sometimes averse to engaging with people of faith um, because of this history. And I've been recently kind of like calling myself out on that. I read this amazing book called Faithiest by one of the humanist chaplains at Harvard, who he is not a person of faith, but he feels more at home serving in soup kitchens with Christian youth groups than he does like on a panel of, of atheists. Um, and I've just I've just been thinking about how like, Yes, we know there has been great harm done in the name of religion. That's not far from anybody's minds. Yes, we know, you know, the, the kill the gays policy in Uganda is, is horrific and horrifying and there's, there's no getting around that. But how those kinds of things represent on, like only one sliver or one slice of, of people of faith in general. And so I, um, something that I notice when I usually curate what gets posted on the the Facebook page of Sex for Smart People and 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 also then sometimes on my own personal page. And two articles that I posted recently, um, one was Let's Do Away with No Strings Attached Sex, which was this beautiful essay. I highly, highly recommend it. Let's Do Away with No Real Strings good. Attached Sex, which says that it's not coming down on on casual sex or one night stands at all. It's just saying we are all connected by strings. We we just are. There's no thing, as, as, as Dossie was saying, basically like the... It's basically another articulation of ethical sluttery that's 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 really beautiful that just like no like we're 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 engaging with other humans and this you know uh you know kind of like fighting against hookup culture in the flippant sense. Um and then another piece that I posted about um how to talk to little girls and um about you know just encouraging like however adorable your 3-year-old niece is twirling around in her p- pretty pink dress to not be like, oh, you're so beautiful, twirl around again, but to first think and be like, hey, what are you thinking about? What are you reading these days? <laughs> and that's not like you can't also say you're adorable, but just but to really give thought to to how we talk to 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 young people that way. And both of those articles, when I posted them, got lots of engagements, likes, and positive comments from my super conservative Christian family, like cousins who I like, but I barely talk to and we don't have a lot in common and people who I presumed had unfollowed me years ago from all the (laughs) stuff that I post, (laughs) gleeful heathen that I am. But um, that really struck me as like, I think that 
we're all doing everybody a disservice to like, to, I don't know. I think I'm doing myself a disservice to like write people of faith entirely out of how I think about sexuality. We're like, of course it's, of course it's complex. But as, as Chris Stedman pointed out in, in Faithiest, sometimes like the ways that atheists talk about people of faith is kind of dehumanizing almost in a, some parallels to how some people of faith talk about the queer community. And so I guess I'm just publicly admitting that I'm interested in turning toward what we all have in common and to just like examining those edges in myself um, even though I am not a person of faith and, and I'm, I feel kind of humbled by, by some of the, the snap judgments that I, I sometimes have. And wait a minute, wait yeah. a minute. Are you conceding <laughs> that you have no faith? <laughs> I have faith in lots of things, but uh-huh. not God. So maybe you are a person of faith. <laughs> That's, that I'm, a person of, I'm a person of faith in humanity. In humanity when I said that sure. about the divine energy of the cosmos yeah. running oh, through yeah. of us all the time, you liked that, oh, didn't you? For sure. okay. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. There's think, faith yeah. for you. <laughs> true, I resent true, true. that these people think they have a, they have a, a sort of a, a, a monopoly on the concept of faith. Although Holler. the concept of faith as being the core mm. of spirituality also concerns me somewhat, like sure. if you're supposed to believe a certain story. I'm totally aligned with that. I'm mainly yeah. just saying I'm realizing some hangups I have because of my past and wanting to but, look at people as, as as full humans as I would like to do all the time. And so sometime this, I'm, I'm setting, putting in public an intention on Sex for Smart People. I'm going to host a, an interfaith symposium on sexuality. And um, there's this amazing profile of this orthodox Jewish sex therapist in the New York Times. And I would love to get in touch with her. If anyone knows her, please let me know. Um, but other others in the field too, Chris Stedman, who is uh, queer and humanist and, and does a lot of, of interfaith conversation. But um, I'm really interested in turning towards that. And so if you have thoughts on that, please also let me know. <laughs> Dossie's turn. Okay. Um, you've been doing such joyous stuff here. And um, I guess I wanted to encourage everyone out there to think about the notion of being in the closet. Uh, Because we have some very strong assumptions about what that means. But so many of us have closets. Uh, Do you feel free to talk about your masturbation? Do you feel free to talk about your fantasies? Uh, Do you feel free to talk with your children about anything you want to about sex? Uh, do you feel free to be who you are and what you want to be? I recognize that many of us live somewhere where it is not possible to be completely out of the closet. I understand that. But I want to, I know right now that somebody in your community would be able to hear you, that there are people somewhere within reach of you who have their own closets and would welcome something about being out of the closet. Uh, You know, people say, why isn't there a support group? You have a computer. You go online. Make a support group. (laughs) Um, Get people connected to you. Invite people to connect. Make up an address. Make up a name. I don't care how anonymous you have to be. But find a place in your life when you can be out of the closet and talk to other people out of their closets. Because it's really nice to be standing out there in the sunlight being who you are. Oh, Darcy. <sighs> Darcy, thank you so, so much for taking the time thank to you. join us today. And thank you for just being who you are and doing what you do in the world. 
Thank you for having me here. I've had a wonderful time, and thank you for the work you're doing, too. You're doing Mm -hmm. great work here. I like it. Thank you. And that's it for episode 25. Thank you again so much to Dossie Easton and to all of you for listening. Z-O-M-G, thank you so much. And now the mighty return of the crowdsource question. Yeah. Uh, as you all know, every question is a crowdsource question. We love hearing from you um, at any time about any question. But here's a question that we won't uh, address until we collect a bunch of responses from all of you. And so the question is, do you know of any resources for overcoming jealousy? My wife and I both want an open relationship. In theory, everything is peachy, but the green-eyed monster has got quite a hold on me. And I'm thinking that maybe I'm just not cut out for this. I don't know if I'll ever be able to handle it. And so if you have perspectives on this, we would love, love, love to hear your thoughts. Totally. Uh, you can email them to us at hello at sexforsmartpeople.com. You can send them to us in a Facebook message. I think we're at facebook.com slash sexforsmarts. You can uh, tweet them at us in 140 characters or less, uh, <laughs> minus the characters that are necessary to say at sexforsmarts. Uh, so there are so many ways to reach us, and we'd absolutely love it if you used any and or all. And really, really, thank you so much for listening. And we're going to close out this episode with another small piece from the Love Songs for the Rest of Us album. And this one's a montage of the recordings of the round that we sang with people all across the country in their living rooms. Rad. See you next time. for me and this may not sound sexy to everyone else but I've been having a little bit of health stuff so um, I think to come out of my lovely Victorian um, bath, clawfoot bathtub and feeling for a moment my whole body that I can pay attention to because it feels good and whole and intact and alive and makes me want to smile That's one of the things that's on my mind that feels very, very sexy to me, is just to have that moment of being in my body in a way that feels so happy. (sighs) (sighs) I'm going to say everyone in the Bay Area is the sexiest. (laughs) Joy is the sexiest. Yay! Yay! (laughs) 